You know, since February, we've been doing a sermon series called Agape Toy. Agape Toy is the Greek word for beloved, and it's in the plural. So, um, beloveds, all of you uh, are beloved. God loves uh, all of us. And we've been doing this for a while since February. You can go back and listen to a lot of the audio sermons if you want to, or catch up on, on some of those. Uh, the, the, the concept of love is extremely important in our society today. Of course it's important, though, right? What, what is more important uh, than love? And it's especially important for us who are followers of Jesus and for those who are of us who call ourselves Christians, because since God is love, then it's important that we get this concept correct so that we can understand God uh, even better than we do already. Here's a quote. It's, this quote is in your notes, and we've talked about it in earlier sermons. I just want to remind you of it. This says, if we do not get our theology of love right, we will end up with a distorted view of God, a distorted view of his relationship with his people, the nature of the cross, the motivation for and source of the Christian life, the work of the Spirit, the dynamics of Christian worship, the purpose of the church, and the nature of Christian hope. And so it's important for us to get this theology correct, to get our understanding of love and our understanding of God uh, as correct as we can. And love is very important in our society. We all agree uh, that love is unconditional. Uh, if love has conditions on it, then it's not really love, right? And so I think uh, even though there are probably uh, varying degrees of, uh, of understandings of what love is, I think generally in our society today, we would agree that love is unconditional. Uh, it's undemanding. Uh, it affirms uh, the one that, uh, that is loved uh, just as they are. Just as you are is, is perfect, and, and love would not ask that person to change. Uh, in other words, uh, love is non-judgmental, and love, uh, this is what life is, is all about. I think this is, it's pretty easy to agree. I mean, that sounds perfect. That, that is what love is. And none of us can attain to that love. We try our best, but we always fall short at some point. We always end up uh, judging. We always end up uh, at some point maybe demanding or hoping that if we love someone, they will do something back for us. So then we, we fall short of this unconditional love, even though we know this is the ideal. And I think we can generally agree that this is what we think of love today. And so, um, but God does, we may fall short of this, but God doesn't. God is at his, at his very core is, is loving. And so, um, you know, some people have said, just imagine how good God is, like how good, how loving, how good, how great to think he is. And then just realize that he's actually so much greater than that. You know, his thoughts are, are so much above our thoughts. And imagine the best that you can of who God is. And this is, this is our thought bubble. God is actually so much greater. And I like that idea that I, because God is so much greater than we could imagine. And we can't put him in, in a box. But it's, is God's love unconditional? That's kind of a question I'm, I'd like to ask today. And of course, you know, of course, God's love is, is unconditional. God's love is better than we can ever imagine. But what if, and I'm just saying what if, what if um, our definition of love, what if how we understand love today is not correct? What if it's skewed a little bit? There are studies have shown that throughout generations, throughout centuries, the way this term love has been described has changed over the years. And so 
depending on what culture you're living in, what society, where you've grown up, and what era, what year you were, what generation you're in, would you would define love a little bit differently. And I think that as I described love earlier is how we describe love today, and that's a great ideal, something to, to strive for. But what if our idea of love is, is different than, than perhaps what, how love is portrayed uh, in the scripture? What do we do then? Here's another quote that is also in your notes uh, on, in that tab, and also we've referred to this in earlier sermons. And it says, we cannot assume that the way we use the word love in a modern Western community is the way it was used in the Bible. Nor can we assume that our current use of it gives the word its most Christian or most meaningful definition. Like what if our concept of love is different than, than how love is portrayed in the scriptures? What do we do then? I think it's, you can see how sometimes we always don't, we maybe don't have the exact definition of love as, as our neighbors or our brothers and sisters or even people in our family um, uh, or, or friends. Sometimes we, you hear people say things, or you, maybe you have, like I'm sure we've all said things like this. If, if you loved me, you, know, you wouldn't you know, do this or that. Or, or if you loved me, you would do this or that. And, and maybe the person on the receiving end is like, well, no, I do love you. And, I don't agree that that's what love is. And so sometimes we have a little bit of you know, different interpretations of, of what love is. Um, some people might say, well, I don't, you, you don't love me. You say you love me, but you don't because of this. And the person might think, no, I do love you, but I think we just disagree maybe on how we're interpreting. I mean, and the person could be saying, um, maybe they're just trying to um, manipulate someone saying, you know, if you really loved me, you would do this, or I don't think you love me because of this, because they, they want to get something, you know, in return. That's one possibility. Or another possibility could be that there's just two different definitions of what love really means. And so um, I think we all agree, though, um, love, uh, it can't be forced. If love is forced, if someone is, is held at gunpoint and say, you must love this person, okay, okay, I love, I love the person, that, that's not really love. It's not coming from the inside. And, and people can act like they love someone. People can be forced to do certain actions so it looks like they love the person, but they don't really love because love must be, in order for love to be love, it must be a choice. And the person must want to be loved. But in scripture, I often see, and as you read scripture, you've probably noticed too, that love is something that is commanded. God commands us to love him. God commands us to worship him. God commands us to obey him. And so how is it then that if God's love is unconditional, if God is loving, how is it that he can command love? Because love can't really be forced, can it? And it's interesting, um, this is a theme all throughout the scriptures, not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament, but even, even Jesus says words like this. He says in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, do you remember what he said? If you love me, keep my commands. And in John chapter 15, Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. But, is, isn't God's love unconditional? 
I mean, that sounded a little bit conditional, didn't it? If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, then this. And I think part of our, our problem, and you know, maybe it's, maybe it's just me, but I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of us have the same issue. We, we know that God is loving. Jesus is God, and Jesus is the supreme example of love. And yet, we see in Scripture there's commands to obey, to do this, and, and not do that. So how does that fit? There seems to be sort of a paradox, right? Because unconditional love cannot make demands. Unconditional love, it cannot force anyone to, to do things. And, and it's, it's non-judgmental, and, and they just accept people as they are. And so how does this work? I believe there's a paradox. And sometimes I see that, and, and I love the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, Holy, the Holy Bible. But sometimes, do you agree with me that the scripture can be kind of frustrating at times? I mean, usually it is very comforting and very encouraging, the way God speaks to us through his word. But sometimes it's frustrating. I think, you know, I love Jesus, and I think he's amazing, but then we go to the scriptures and think, yeah, but this, I'm not sure what to do with this. You know, how, why is it that this is happening? And so sometimes we think, you know, I love Jesus, but this, I think it's just better just leave this alone. And Jesus is, is, is unconditional love at its greatest. I mean, he sacrificed himself for us. So let's just leave this aside. Do you ever feel that way? Like it's, it's hard to put those two together. There's this kind of paradox. But... But really, we, we can't do that because Jesus is, is God and, and Jesus loved the scriptures, loves the scriptures. He, as a young boy growing up in a Jewish family, he memorized a lot of the scriptures. And whenever he was teaching and preaching, he was always referring to the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. And he didn't say that I've come to abolish the scriptures. He said, I came to fulfill them. And he taught how the entire Old Testament was leading up to him. And so we can't love Jesus and not love the Bible. Like they, the two go together. You either have one uh, or you, you can't have one or the other. You have both. You have zero or you, or you have both. And so how do, we, how do we reconcile this idea of God's unconditional love with the fact that there are commands made on those that he loves? Well, there's one place that we can look and I've chosen, well, there are many places we can look, uh, but I've chosen one from the Old Testament today. If you have your Bibles, let's look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10. As you're looking there, just, it's interesting, I think, um, to note that in the scriptures, um, the word unconditional is actually never used to describe God's love. God's love is never described as an unconditional love uh, in the Bible. That may surprise some of you, but can you think of a verse or somewhere where it says God's love is unconditional? Now, just because the word's not there doesn't necessarily mean the concept isn't in scriptures. I get that. We believe in the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet the word Trinity is not nowhere found in the scriptures, but the concept is there. And so we've used this word to describe something that's already there. Is that what we're doing with when we describe God's love as unconditional? Even if the word's not there, well, the concept is there, of course. Anyways, I found it interesting that that's not the word that is used to describe God's love, although there are many other words that are used to describe his love. Is God's love unconditional? Sure it is. But let's look at this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 10, and maybe this will help us 
to uh, sort out some of our thoughts and then see how God, what God is expecting of us. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 22. Let's start with verse 12. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to... Let's just stop here for a second. And now, he says. So what do you mean, and now? Deuteronomy chapter 10 comes after Deuteronomy chapter 9, which comes after Deuteronomy chapter 8. So context is, is very important. As we get into these next 10 verses, remember that this is told at a time when Moses has just described to the Israelites in chapter 9 how they have been so disobedient over and over and over again. He says stuff like this. He says in verse Chapter 9, verse 7, remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness. From the day you left Egypt until you arrived here, you have been rebellious against the Lord. So over and over again, they were disobeying, they were being rebellious against the Lord your God. In verse 6, he says, understand then. Okay, so they're about to enter into the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. The, God had rescued them out of slavery right, in Egypt and brought them just because he wanted to, not because they deserved it. And then when he brings them out, they, they thank him by making these, remember they made golden calves, these, these images. And they said, these are the gods who saved us. Let's give thanks to this golden calf that we just made, all this happening while Moses had gone up to the mountain to get the first set of 10 commandments. He had to do it twice because of what had happened. Do you remember that? So this is what's happening. And so he says in verse 6, understand then that, that this, meaning that we're, this, this thing is about to happen, God is going to take you into the promised land, is not because of your righteousness. It's not because of how good you are. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because you've proven yourself. It's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. He says, because you are a stiff-necked people. And so it wasn't good merit. It wasn't good faith. It wasn't good behavior. This um, receiving, this promise that God had, had given them is not a reward for good behavior. So just remember that. So this is what's, and now, okay, so and now Israel, this, this is the context, right? And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him? Okay, so fear, walk, love to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today. Things that God is requiring. Fear, walk, love, serve, observe my commandments. This is listed here uh, at the beginning of this, this passage. But remember, God first chose Israel. And the scriptures tell us um, earlier in... Uh, Chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, it wasn't because they were great and mighty or because they were awesome, because they stood out above all the other nations. No. Chapter 7, verse 6 to 9 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Verse 7, 7, 7, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. That's all. 
because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out of, it's because he loved you and he kept the promise he made that he brought you out of um, Egypt, out of slavery from the power of king, uh, the king of Egypt. So know that the Lord your God is God and he's a faithful God and he keeps his covenant of love for generations and generations. And so first, God loved them and chose them just because he wanted to choose them, not because of anything that he saw in them. And so that, that's a little bit different. When, when, um, when we talk about love, uh, we often say things like, uh, you know, I fell in love, love in first sight. Like I couldn't help it. It's often out of our control, right? It's just there's something in this other person or sometimes it's an object like chocolate or a certain kind of car and we just, it's so attractive to me. I just fell in love. I love this person and I, it's not, it's not a choice. It just kind of happened. And, and therefore, because it's kind of like that when sometimes we fall out of love, right? Well, you know, we both just fell out of love with each other. It's just something that happened. And so it was time for us to, to move on. And then we fall in love again. And so it's, we, don't we talk about love like that sometimes? At least they do on TV and on reality shows. And so it's, it's like that sometimes. But here God is, um, what was I saying? Sometimes I go off my notes. Sorry. Right, so that's different. God's love is not like that. God was, didn't find something attractive in Israel that drew him. So, oh, I just fell in love with you guys because you're so beautiful and so numerous, so your military is so strong. He chose them even though they weren't any of that stuff. There was nothing in them to make him attracted to them, except they just wanted to love. So he's loving. You see how that, that works with God's different. But I left out the last part here. He says, you know, to, to do all these things, fear, walk, love, serve, these are things that God requires for your own good. He says, this is what God requires for your own good. That kind of reminds me a little bit of what Jesus had said, and I just um, read that earlier. And Jesus was saying, um, if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And he says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, right? For your own good. So let's keep uh, reading here for a little bit. Verses 14, 15, and 16. And verses 17, 18, and 19. Instead of going 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, uh, what I would like to do is do 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. So 14 and 17 right together like this. Often uh, in Hebrew, and especially in the poetry, they will say one thing and then repeat another thing. So these next three verses basically are just repeated again with different words. The next three verses again. And so just, just for fun, just to mix things up a little bit, I'd like to look at verse 14 and 17, and then 15 and 16, right? And just, and just go together like this. So, sorry, 14 and 17, 15, 18. And uh, so you've got them there like this. Basically, there's three sections. And the first section just says how great God is and how uniquely they praise God. And then the next line talks about uh, who God is his character, and then finally, uh, what is required uh, from Israel. So you'll see this, 14 and 17. It says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. And then verse 17, kind of repeating itself again, right? One, two, three verses, and then three verses. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. The Israelites lived in a land where there were many different gods. We might find, say so that's kind of similar to today. Uh, with this globalization, people move all, all around. 
We're not stuck in one, one land. We, we've moved around, so we have all sorts of religious people living next door to one another, all sorts of different beliefs. It's very pluralistic. It's actually very similar uh, to how the Israelites uh, had lived. All around them, there were all sorts of other nations with all sorts of other gods. It was very polytheistic. In other words, many different gods. And as you read, especially in the, the Old Testament, you'll, you'll see them talk about other gods. There's all these other gods, but God, our God, is the God of all gods. He is the Lord of all lords. He is so much greater. To, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, like the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. This is how amazing, this is how great and wonderful God is. And it's repeated basically again in verse 17. And now it talks about the character of God. Verse 15, yet the Lord, yet, okay, in spite of the fact that God is this, he is so much more amazing than all the other gods, yet, the Lord set his affection on your ancestors, okay, on, your, on your grandparents, and etc., and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Same kind of concept again repeated in verse 7. Who's God who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Even though God is this amazing, even so, God is so much greater than all the other gods. He has chosen you of all people and set his affection on you. You know, often the Old Testament uh, gets a bad rap. Lots of people love Jesus in the New Testament and they think, well, I don't really know what to do with the Old Testament. And uh, so we, we set it aside or we, it just doesn't, I don't like it. And the Old Testament, sometimes people say that's like the God of the warrior God or, or the God of violence. And the New Testament is the God of love and, and grace. And so we prefer this one over this one. But this is, um, the, we can't do that. As I mentioned earlier, our faith encompasses the entire Bible. And Jesus loved the Old Testament as well as, um, he loved the, the New Testament too. So, I mean, the Old Testament. Um, this, this is deemed heresy. Uh, in the second century, there's a, a guy named Marcion, and this is called the Marcionite heresy, where he did away with the Old Testament because that was, you know, a God who is different than the God of the New Testament. And then he even did away with lots of the New Testament and said, this is, this is what we need to focus on. But this is not right. And so I just wanted to show you, even in the Old Testament, it's very clear that God is just a God of love and compassion and mercy, and he loves to forgive. And even though he's so great among all the gods, he chose Israel. He just chose these people to love them. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothes. This is so different. Most, um, you, we, we like to, to show partiality to those who, can, who are rich and where there's benefit for us. But God shows favoritism on the foreigner the people who are on the fringes or those who have no food and, and no clothing. This is, this is so different than all the other gods that are living around uh, the Israelites. They would focus on, on the rich and the powerful and they would esteem those things, but God, God is so different. He is not uh, like that at all. And then we come to the final section. It says verse 16 and then verse 19. Circumcise your hearts. In other words, there's a need for repentance. Not an outward circumcision, but an inward circumcision. And the Apostle Paul picks this up later too in the New Testament. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Remember, Moses referred to them as stiff-necked 
people, right? Because they were so disobedient and they're rebellious. In spite of all that, God is going to stay through, true to his promises and bring you into the promised land. And, um, and they said, so, so there's a response for, for his people, repentance. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For remember, you yourselves are also foreigners in Egypt. And so God is, God, we reflect God's love. And God expects us to obey his commands, expect us to fear him, expects us to serve him, but only as a response to what he has already done. Therefore, he says, uh, be holy as I am holy. He says, forgive others as I have already forgiven you. See, God's always taking the initiative. Love others as I have loved you. And so God is not responding, oh, because you loved me, okay, now I'm going to love you back. In fact, it's the other way around. So I have done this for you, and I love foreigners, and so you should love foreigners. I have done this for you, and, and so you need to, to repent, and I want you to reflect my character. This is basically what he's saying here. So let's just finish this passage, and then we'll pull out a few things. It says, fear the Lord your God, and there's those words, fear and serve. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He's the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders that you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70, just 70, that's not that many, 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. God's love is unconditional, yes. We can see throughout the entire story of the, of the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, that God simply loved. God is loving, and he cannot stop loving. But just because God's love is unconditional in the fact that he's not waiting for someone to meet a certain condition before he loves them, it would not be the same to say that there are no conditions that come with God's love. Or, maybe that's not the right way to say it, but maybe it's God's love is unconditional, and yet God loves justice, so he expects justice, or God forgives, so he expects forgiveness. Yes, God's love is unconditional. God loves everyone, but he can't not love. But that doesn't mean there's nothing we have to change. This doesn't mean that he doesn't expect us to do something in response to his love for us. He says, love others as I have loved you, and so... First of all, God always takes the initiative. He's the one who starts the whole process. He loves us first. But now that you have received my love, now that you've received my forgiveness, God says, I expect you to extend that to others, even to your enemies. Love others as I have loved you. Forgive others as I have forgiven you. Be holy as I am holy. God's love for his people is, is very reassuring but it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't come with expectations. Does that make sense? So there are things that we should do as recipients of God's love. We love simply because of who God is. We don't, uh, we don't love others because we want to make a better city. We want Munipeg to be so much better, so we have this other motive. We don't uh, love others because we want our church to grow. We want lots of people to come to church and make our church bigger. That's not a good reason uh, for loving God. 
We don't do Bible studies or prayer meetings or we don't do uh, outreaches or have a food bank and we don't love people in order for something else to happen. We simply love because God loved us. That's it, period. Of course, because we love God and we love justice and righteousness, we want all people to come to a saving faith. But that's not our motive for loving. Even sometimes Jesus in his ministry, he would heal people, but not do anything about their, their sin issue. Just, I, I just love them. I have compassion on them. I want to heal this person. And often, often he would ask, uh, offer forgiveness of sins as well, but not always. Sometimes we're just called to love simply because God loved us. So we love for love's sake. We love simply because God first loved us. We may come to appreciate all of the wonderful attributes of God. We may come to appreciate his compassion. We may come to appreciate his power, his creativity. But that's not the reason we love God. That is kind of secondary and that comes later. We love because he loved us. We can appreciate what he's done for us and so we want to show that to other people. So this is why Jesus says, a measure of people will know that you're my disciples by how you love each other because that's what's expected, that's what's required, that's what we should be doing once we've received God's love. Now you love others. God forgives you, so you forgive others. And we've talked about this before. Often, by forgiving others, there's a lot of benefits that come to us. We're, we're released from rage, and we're, we have more peace inside, and sometimes we're even healed of ailments we have when we forgive other people, but that's not our motive for forgiving. We forgive others because God forgave us in the same way. We love other people simply because God loved us. And so God does love you. God's love is unconditional. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. That's why God is so amazing. The more we get to know ourselves, we think we realize, oh man, I, I don't know if I really am a lovable person. That's not true. God loves everyone and anyone. God loves his enemies. And so God loves you. I want you to appreciate that. I want you to not just think, but to feel and to experience. May your whole body and your whole soul and whole mind understand how much God loves each and every one of us. But please don't misunderstand that then it doesn't really matter what we do. God is still expecting us to love other people. God is expecting us to forgive other people because he has done that for us. Yes, God's love is unconditional, but there's also expectations that come with God's love. So it's that, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road, and that's often where, well, that's where I fail, and I'm sure you fail often. We don't love others as God has loved us. And so ask for forgiveness. Take a daily record and say, God, I'm sorry, I was not acting loving in that way. I was very selfish. I was promoting myself. I was exalting myself above someone else. I was critical. I was, you know, I, I was kind of like a joke, but I really meant what I said. And so constantly go back to God and confess, make things right with other people. God has said, this is for our own good. Jesus said, this is so that your joy may be complete. He's not doing this to keep us as slaves under his thumb. This is for us to have complete freedom. And so, first of all, God loves, period. He loves you no matter what. He accepts you no matter what. You are perfect in his eyes. Now, 
extend that love to other people. And that may mean changing some things in our lifestyle. That may mean changing the ways we, we act and behave. There might be some expectations put on you after you have received God's love. Not first. God loves you no matter what. Now let us go and love those around us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. And I just thank you for love in general. Thank you that you are a loving being and you're personal and relational and you, you're forgiving, you're compassionate, you're merciful. We love all these things about you. But most importantly, God, thank you for loving us. And Lord, I pray for our, our community here that you would fill us with your love. Would you help us? We, we can't do this on our own. We're prone to do other things instead. So help us. We need your help. Jesus, your name means save. Save us. Fill us with your love for other people. Fill us with a love for you, a love for ourselves. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.